Welcome to Think Digital Futures. I'm Shane Anderson, and this is Meow. Uh, my name's Meow. Last <laughs> name. Uh, yeah, so my name's Meow Ludo, and I'm an emerging technology evangelist, and I'm founder of BioFoundry, Australia's first open access molecular biology lab in Sydney. I went to visit Meow at the BioFoundry. There's like, yeah, mushroom stuff, bacteria. It's a lab where citizen scientists can launch their own experiments. So it's crammed with everything from mushrooms to things a little bit more nefarious. Um, this is probably the most dangerous thing here. Argonaut. So that's basically bacteria. It's human-optimized CRISPR. But as cool as this lab was, I was there to talk about something Meow has recently become kind of famous for. Biohacking. biohackers come up with a pretty ingenious way to save time on public transport and to make sure his opal card is never lost or stolen. Meow Ludo Disco Gamma Meow Meow had the chip implanted in his hand. Even though novelty microchips get a lot of media attention, there's a lot more to it than just tapping on with your hand. Meow says there's five elements to biohacking. First, there's hacking your molecular biology basically manipulating things smaller than cells. So that's DNA, RNA, proteins. Then there's hacking your microbiology. Which is understanding things at the cellular level, particularly microbes. So this is like bacteria, archaea, algae. Then there's bioinformatics. Taking the code of life, DNA, then using computers to manipulate that and then get data out. And equipment building, which makes all this possible. We can take a machine that's maybe twenty-six dollars to $100,000 and build it for maybe $60. So that's a big part of the democratisation and allows us to do high-level science with a limited budget. And finally, there's grinding. The act of like cyborgism, like taking cool things or not so cool things, maybe your opal card and putting it inside your hand and then using that to augment your senses or extend the possibilities of what the human body can do. Cyborgism. So, so what are the kind of things that people are kind of implanting in themselves? So the obvious ones at the moment are like magnets is a big one. People are starting to do some decorations, like glowing stuff. Things like Rich Lee was putting non-Newtonian fluids in sacks into his shins so that he could like kick things really hard. Oh, did it, did it work? <laughs> uh, you should ask him. <laughs> Run up to him and kick him in the shins. Uh, he doesn't have them anymore. <laughs> I'm really interested in LEDs, but the most exciting stuff that people are doing now is looking at things which are interactive. So biofeedback type things, things that might tell you about your body. So quantified self, so maybe it's heart rate. And do you see this as where the future of tech is going? Maybe like wearable tech, like Fitbits? Yeah, Fitbits, shit. (laughs) Um, I reckon it's where technology should already be. Wearables are like the opposite of what I want. Implantables is where it's at. Yeah, do you have any implants? Yeah, I do have three. So I have two two little NFC chips and then I have an Opal card. Yeah, what's an an NFC chip? A near-field communication. And it's basically like a pet microchip. Contains about one kilobyte of data and it interacts with your phone. So basically, I bring up my phone. I've already pre-programmed it. When I align the chip in my thumb with the field on the phone, it will automatically activate the app. When you know at the one time that like, there we go. So basically it just loads a video and I've had that song stuck in my head for three weeks now. There we go, that's enough. No one else needs to hear this. Can you talk me through the process of actually getting the chip so basically, Joltron made an incision on the side of my hand. He separated the skin from the fascia. He made a little pocket. It's about a centimeter long, uh, about 
maybe maybe one and a half centimeters long, maybe about 7.5 mil across, and then it's about two mil high. How do you make sure it doesn't get infected? Go to a really good body mod expert. Uh, it's actually less likely to get infected than a piercing. So with a piercing, you have an open wound. With this, the wound is closed. Literally, my, my body mod expert, Joltron, he can do that in a minute and a half. Does it hurt? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Depends on which chip. This one doesn't hurt. These ones do. This one actually on the back of my, my hand healed quite quickly, which is where my watch is. The one that was on the side, the opal card, it's, it's quite a large implant and also it sits above a tendon, so it's continually inflamed. But eventually, my body will create some sort of protein membrane around it. It will isolate it. And then it won't hurt anymore. At this point, you might be wondering why someone would put a chip in their arm, or why someone would even think of doing this in the first place. Well, biohacking is all part of a bigger movement that's taking hold in tech circles around the world. And inserting a microchip into your arm is just the tip of the iceberg. This movement wants to not just harness the technological revolution, but integrate with it, in order to push us forward into the next stage of human evolution. This movement is called transhumanism. What greater purpose than it would be to actually use that technology to enhance the biological limitations of humanity? This is Peter Zing. He's an accountant and also the co-founder of Transhumanism Australia. He says he first came across transhumanism as part of his job. I was working at the Deloitte Centre for the Edge. Uh, it's an applied think tank that helps businesses look out in you know, the next three to five years and what they should be focusing on that might not be on their radar. And uh, one of the research topics that I was involved with was artificial intelligence. The idea that humans can artificially build intelligent machines has been going in and out of fashion for the past 50 or so years. It hit a peak in the 80s, when you could say we got pretty carried away imagining the possibilities of sentient robots. Mr. Five, Mr. Five, tell us how you feel. How do I feel? I feel alive! But it wasn't long before people started to get impatient. The clunky machines and lack of wacky adventures meant that the hype was soon replaced by disappointment, and AI researchers lost a lot of their funding. It ushered in what was called an AI winter. But a couple of years ago, Peter says things started to change. This time around, it just seemed different because everything was exploding in terms of applicability, whether it be, you know, natural language processing, image recognition, the applications are actually coming out. And I thought, okay, well, why is this exploding? And it isn't just AI that's exploding. This is something happening across all industries so fast it's hard to keep pace. A couple of fields in particular have got people talking. Nanotechnology, biotechnology, IT and cognitive science. Advancements in these areas have the power to change everything from medicine to our ability to process data. They're influencing the ways we interact with each other and the ways we can manipulate our bodies right down to a cellular level. And all the while, Peter was watching this acceleration and trying to figure out, why is this all happening now? And it just kept on going down the rabbit hole until it was it completely consumed me. He did find his answer. And I just delved deep into that and realised there was a person named Ray Kurzweil that was sort of pushing this concept called the singularity. Singularity is a future period which technological change will be so rapid and its impact so profound that every aspect of human life will be irreversibly transformed. The singularity is the core philosophy behind the transhuman movement. It was founded by a guy called Ray Kurzweil, the voice you just heard. 
He even proposed a theory on just how machines will irreversibly transform human life. There won't be a clear distinction between humans and machines. Our computers are not going to be these rectangular devices we put in our pocket. They're going to be inside our bodies and brains, and we're going to be a hybrid of biological and non-biological intelligence. Kind of like what Meow is about with all the implanted chips, except transhumanists see this as happening with all forms of technology. So those advancements in nanotechnology, biotechnology and so forth, they're all leading up to this one point. It's following a trajectory known as Moore's Law. Moore's Law is dubbed by the Intel founder, Gordon Moore. He noticed from his observations that silicon chips are actually doubling on the same area length every 18 months. And also applies in terms of uh, price performance as well. So it's actually you know, halving in price every 18 months. Basically, technology is getting smaller and cheaper at an exponential rate. Think about the changes in computers over the past 20 or so years. In the early days, they took up your whole room and loaded excruciatingly slow, and they were expensive. Now our computers are just chips in our smartphones, and their smartphones we buy so cheap we think of them as disposable. So even though the tech revolution looks like chaos from the outside, transhumanists say that everything getting smaller and cheaper is all leading up to the point of convergence. And at this convergence, man and machine become fused together. It'll be the end of the human era and the beginning of the age of machines. Peter says this is just a natural progression. I think we're continuously evolving. It's just at what point does natural evolution get replaced with synthetic evolution? We could hit a point where we could actually merge ourselves with a superintelligent being. Transhumanists also predict when the singularity will happen. Kurzweil says that in the year 2029, AI will pass the Turing test. That is, the test designed to figure out whether a machine's intelligence could match a human's. As for the end of the human era, Ray has that worked out too. By 2045, we'll have expanded the intelligence of our human-machine civilization a billion-fold. That will be a singularity. Merging with superintelligent beings may sound like a remnant of 70s sci-fi, but Kurzweil wrote about the singularity in 2005, and he's not some writer on the fringes either. I think Ray's got about a title that stretches out for about five minutes. <laughs> He's an inventor, so uh, he invented anything automated from the early days. Kurzweil's actually responsible for a lot of 80s automation, including scanners, text-to-speech readers, even the Kurzweil K250 synthesizer. This one. Currently, he's chief engineer at Google, and it's no coincidence that both Kurzweil and Moore's natural habitat is Silicon Valley. Transhumanism is big in the business world. It's something Kurzweil takes advantage of because he's also running a thing called the Singularity University with his business partner, Peter Diamandis. What that essentially does is it takes executive leaders around the world from corporates to essentially educate them on what this exponential rate of change means for their business. Because if you start skating towards where the puck should be, then your competitors fall behind and you'll be actually right where you need to be. And its followers include the usual list of Silicon Valley CEOs, like Elon Musk, as well as Peter Thiel and Liz Parrish, who I'll talk about a bit later. Closer to home, Peter started Transhumanism Australia in Sydney about two and a half years ago. It's now got nearly 600 members who regularly get together to talk about what Peter says are the three main pillars of transhumanism. One is about super longevity, so living healthier and longer. 
So this one includes things like gene editing, anti-aging, and just medicine in general. The second is around superintelligence, so enhancing your cognitive abilities to perform the tasks that you wish to do. This includes stuff like Mind Upload, where we can link our brains to computers, which Elon Musk is working on right now with the Neuralink project. The aim is to implant electrodes into the brain that allow you to download your thoughts to or from a computer. And the dream is to upload knowledge from the internet into our brains so we can become super smart. And the third is super well-being. So filling up those gaps in the Maslow hierarchy towards that self-actualization that, you know, that Maslow essentially projected. And the priority of super well-being is immortality. And that's what transhumanists say could happen after the singularity. And it's the ultimate aim of Elon Musk's Neuralink. Because in the post-human world, when your consciousness is merged with a computer, in theory, you would never die. So if you want digital immortality, um, have that continuous consciousness stream going. You have that stream of consciousness and you're essentially thinking in the cloud now. It could be stored in a data center somewhere along with everybody else, compartmentalized. <laughs> but that's sort of the ultimate digital immortality concept. Would you say that transhumanism is an idea, like a theory, a practice, a belief? How would you At the moment, I think it's become more theory and practice, somewhere in between of theory and practice. This is Avinash Singh, a PhD scholar at the University of Technology, Sydney. It was believed about five years ago, but it's already moving to a theory and practice. It's quite fast development, I would say. And with the Elon Musk thing, uh, what he promised it seems a little far away, maybe at least 10 years. But when people with lots of power and money really pushing towards this thing, he definitely come up with some output. Yeah, something uh, will come out Something of it. for sure will come out. But how it will look like, future will know. But at least this will push the boundaries a lot because you have lots of money and resources and the people around you to do those things. A lot of areas of scientific research are benefiting from the increase in interest thanks to transhumanism. Avinash's research is in neural engineering, using engineering to understand the human brain. He's a transhumanist too, and he says his interest in this field is driven by the idea of mind uploading. It's like unlimited possibility. It's like your memory is now internet. Apart from your brain power, you are connected with computer processing power. So you kind of already enhance your cognition. And automatically, once you do that, you get an enhanced brain, which is powerful, which never die as well, because it's the digital now. Avinash says transhumanism is pushing science forward, even though it's not always in totally ethical ways. Liz Parrish, she's American, of course, and she injected some kind of genome-related medicine to her blood, what we call, which is not allowed it on human yet, but she did that. So last year, Liz Parrish, who is the CEO of a biotechnology company, she decided to use herself as patient zero for an anti-aging therapy her company is developing. She gets the injections outside the United States to avoid pesky things like ethics and peer review systems. Initial results, she says, are positive. She says she's biologically 20 years younger. But as for the long-term effects, well, only time can tell. Peter says that Liz Parrish isn't the only Silicon Valley transhumanist raising a few eyebrows. 
Well, you've had Peter Thiel in, in the US. Uh, he's a billionaire that runs Palantir, very involved with the Trump presidency. And he's been advocating for things like a blood boy, right? Which is actually someone that you siphon young blood to an older person. And that actually makes that older person live healthier and longer. So there's those barriers where you're like, okay, sure, it works. It has an impact. But vampirism? Like, really? So all this really begs the question, should you do something just because you can? Is this desire to be melded with machinery just an extension of human nature? Or are we going way off track from our biological framework? Do you think humans have had this innate desire to improve themselves with technology? Or do you think this is something that's new? I think it's not new. It's already there, always there. If you see those very, very old books, always humans try to get some kind of worship from the God and try to get more powerful, more enhanced. Even they want to become immortal. Lots of things are there. But science was not there. This all is because of God's power. But now what we are thinking as a transhumanism is a similar thinking, but more scientific and logical way with the reasoning. Would you, would you do it? Would you upload your mind? <laughs> I don't know. But I really want to test this thing for sure. How it, this thing will work, it's going to happen. And I'm thinking that what's going to happen first, that you are able to have some devices where you can create something more closer to things like Matrix. I know Kung Fu. Matrix-style mind uploading sounds incredibly cool, and this is all part of the appeal of transhumanism. It's drawn from the possibilities that lie along the sci-fi fringes of the technological revolution. In fact, it's hard to tell where transhumanists draw the line between fiction and possibility. Or maybe it is the influence of science fiction that's inspiring so many researchers to push for the singularity, and that's what's blurring the space in between. So, what do you think? Will man become machine in 2045? Do you think 2045 is when it's going to happen? By, um, by race calculations, right? I think he's been right, what, 83% of the time? So, you know, I put, I put my money on it. <laughs> listening to Think Digital Futures. This show is a collaboration between the University of Technology Sydney and 2SER. Think Digital Futures is taking a little break while 2SER hosts a supporter drive. We'll be back in two weeks with new content, but if you like the show and you want to keep us on air, head to 2SER.com and show us some love. While you're there, you can hear past episodes and check out our partner shows, Think Health and Think Sustainability. My name is Shane Anderson. Thanks for listening. Thank you.